real talent. I paraphrase slightly, but the enthusiasm, one might even say chutzpah, of this young woman's letter somehow engraved it in my memory. At the moment, although I have three young youngsters, my bridesmaid is babysitting while I am in a church production of a passion play, playing the role of Mary Magdalene, which is one of the leads, oh, along with God and Jesus. I meant to be excellent, though it's not for me to say. You can see it in the Holy Trinity Hall behind the church. It's in Puckle Street, Mooney Ponds, until next Saturday. I look forward to meeting you. Yours truly, Edna Everidge, Mrs. It is an unedifying confession, but I was intrigued for snobbish reasons. Witnessing my new correspondent would surely be one for the scrapbook, and most likely enjoyed with the help of a handkerchief stuffed in my mouth. That evening I took myself down to Mooney Ponds on the tram. I had never been to this part of Melbourne before. I was brought up in the new suburb of Camberwell, in a two-story Neo-Georgian house built in the mid-thirties by my recently prosperous father. It was a suburb that celebrated everything English. Many of the houses were in mock Tudor, with pin oaks and liquid ambers flourishing on the trim grass verges. After the war, the nicer Melbourne suburbs quickly returned to normal, but for a while there was still some horse-drawn traffic. The milkman, the dustman, even the bottle-o. The latter was a hunched figure in an old army greatcoat and a battered digger's slouched hat, whose hoarse allulations, bottle rang through the morning air as curtains twitched and prim teetotalers peeped out to see how many empties an intemperate neighbour might be discarding. In working-class suburbs there was also the Iceman, serving households too poor to own a Frigidaire. And in remoter districts, as yet unsewered, there was, we were told, a sinister nocturnal personage known as the Nightman, with his horse-drawn cart and its cloacal burden. Melbourne was bisected by a class barrier as immutable as the Lemus Germanicus, which the Romans constructed as a barrier against the unsubdued barbarian tribes. In Melbourne, a corresponding boundary was the River Yarra. Nice people lived south of it, north of it, beyond the commercial centre, dwelt nobody we knew or wished to know. Bluntly expressed in sanitary terms, we flushed the toilet. They pulled the chain. Now on the tram to Mooney Ponds, I saw that other Melbourne, where the bottle would have trawled with greater success. Parades of Victorian shops with wide awnings, supported by cast-iron columns, bristling with what is now called signage. Four-and-twenty pies, Cerebos salt, Penfold's wine, and Brooks Lemos, a giant Michelin man made of lemons, striding across a blue hoarding. I alighted from the tram in Puckle Street, and there, sure enough, was a rather ugly brick ecclesiastical building with a cluster of people outside. The women all wore floral dresses, hats and gloves, and the men, who were fewer, wore double-breasted, wide-lapelled suits. 
No doubt they were all friends and family of the caste. I joined the crowd which filed down beside the church to the posterior hall. From the hall came the shrill whinny of a reed organ, and on entering I was surprised to find it already quite full and furnished with extra chairs to accommodate the overflow. A limp red curtain hung athwart the small stage, and as the lights convulsively dimmed, it was thus to the tune of What a Friend We Have in Jesus that the red curtain parted to reveal a bustling square in old Jerusalem. The stage swarmed with people, and effective use, I noticed, had been made of bath towels, dressing gowns, and burnt cork. The players threw themselves enthusiastically into the roles of beggars, rabbis, and non-specific Arabs. I recall a Roman soldier in cardboard armor strutting onto the stage and bullying a crone.